Trinity. Not only do parents want children, but children often want siblings. That's a story of a young son who's wanting siblings and telling his father about his desire. Dad, I, I, want, I want some playmates. I want some siblings. And his dad says, son, pray that God would give us more kids. So the son starts to earnestly pray for more children. And a number of months later, his mother gets pregnant. And the son is excited. And months later, as she gets ready for delivery, they go to the hospital. And the dad comes out of the delivery room and he says, son, you won't believe what God has done. You not only have a brother now, you have a sister too. And the dad says, <clears throat> see what happens when you pray, son? And the son, undaunted, replies, yes, dad, but aren't you glad I stopped praying when I did? As we celebrate Mother's Day today, I want to look at a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 1, which is a story of Hannah in her journey from adversity to praise, which was quite a long journey. In this adversity to praise was regarding her infertility and how the Lord met her in her time of need and accomplished more than Hannah ever dreamed possible. Some women today might have or had had sorrow from infertility. Hannah's experience gives us encouragement and perspective in a number of ways. Join with me as I pray for our time together. Lord, thanks for your goodness. Thanks that you know us thoroughly. Whether we're in joy or in sorrow, you can relate to us and you want to comfort us and provide for us. Thank you for Hannah's story of adversity to praise and how you worked in her life and did even greater things than she ever imagined. Encourage our hearts, build perspective today, give glory to yourself, and give encouragement to your people, Lord, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Our story begins with the infer infertility of Hannah and the anguish in her heart that she experienced. Infertility is actually a pretty common topic in the scriptures. And notable women such as Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and of course Hannah all struggled with infertility. And it's interesting that the children born by those women actually had profound influences in very powerful ways. I would like to kind of set the backdrop historically what's going on with a very kind of a lengthy quote from Dr. Paul Evans. Should be up on the slides here. We'll see. There we go. To help us listen to the story, it's important to know that in ancient Israel, children were crucial for both preserving and developing their largely agricultural society. Children were necessary as heirs and as labor for both agriculture and household duties. Also, in order to understand the story of Hannah's predicament, one has to understand that in the ancient Near East, fertility was associated with divine blessing and infertility was understood as a divine curse. While today some may choose not to have children, such a choice would have been inconceivable to a woman of the ancient Near East. In the ancient mindset, having children was close to the very reason for a woman's existence. The well-being of women was attached directly to their children who could look after them after the death of a husband. Further, children linked, to, linked women to the family kin structure, uh, providing them with security. For many, 
of you women, Mother's Day is a very, very joyful day. But for some, it might be bitter and sad. Maybe you've wanted children but could never have them. Perhaps you've gone through a miscarriage or, heaven forbid, have lost a child to death. The story of Hannah reflects both the sadness and the joy that one can feel in the heart related to the desires to be a mother. Let's pick up the historical narrative of Hannah's adversity in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Verses 2 and 3 should have a slide. Elkanan had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penaniah. And Penaniah had children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship in the sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. Some observations are necessary for us to kind of get a more robust view of what's going on in kind of the historical setting. First, Hannah was Elkanan's first wife. But since she was unable to give children, he took on a second wife. How long did it take when he married Hannah and she couldn't have children before he decided, you know, I want children. It looks like it's not going to happen with number one wife. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a second wife so I can have children. How long did that take? The text doesn't say, but I would guess at least a few years, maybe more. Second, Elkanen was likely a man of considerable means. Every year he goes to Shiloh to worship. He's got two wives at this point in the text when this uh, story unfolds. He's got his second wife has at least four children, sons, it says, plural, daughters, plural, so at least four, maybe more. And this is quite an expensive trip, and he does it every single year. Third, the two sons of Eli were extremely corrupt. They had corrupted the priesthood. They let all kinds of immorality take place. They were immoral themselves. And God needed to bring a change. Is he going to choose Eli, the dad? No, because he had irresponsibility. He wasn't dealing with his sons in an appropriate manner. He failed God. He failed the people. So it wasn't going to be through Eli. There was a need for somebody else to replace them. Verses 4 and 5 in Samuel. When the day came that Elkanan sacrificed, he would give portions to Penaniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. God actually had a purpose in doing this, in closing her womb. She wasn't aware of it. All she felt was the hurt and the loss and the desire in her heart to have a son or a daughter. But God had chosen in his providence to close her womb for a period of time. She was unaware of that purpose. She didn't realize it until many, many years later. Isn't that like us? God had a plan. God had a plan. He always has a plan. Verses 6 through 8. Her rival, however, would provoke her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year as she went up to the house of the Lord. She would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah and her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I, better, am I not better to you than ten sons? When I've read this a ton of times, I've thought, this guy doesn't have a clue. I just, I kind of put myself in her position. I, I kind of wanted to slap him or kick him or, you know, I just was, I was kind of angry, frustrated with him. This guy is filled with his own self-importance. How would you answer the question, am I not better than 10 sons? 
yes is a bad answer. No is a bad answer. In fact, the question is a bad question. Penaniah, the second wife, did not understand Hannah. Elkanan, her husband, did not understand her. He should have attempted to enter her grief, but he did not. Romans says, weep with those who weep. Elkanan failed to weep with his wife. So that's the historical backdrop, what's going on. Her, her adversity, her pain, her anguish, her disappointment, being mocked by the second wife, being misunderstood, that's where she's at. So what does she do in response? She seeks God. First primary point, Hannah's adversity leads her to prayer and that prayer ultimately leads to peace. Verses 9 through 11. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorstep of the temple of the Lord. She greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant but will give your maidservant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall not come upon his head. All of us are familiar with the classic Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Jimmy Stewart plays George Bailey, the banker who encounters financial problems, and it's so severe he thinks about committing suicide. So he tries to commit suicide. God sends an angel and tries to rescue him, and then the angel shows him, George, let me show you what your wife and your children and your friends in this community will look like without you. What if, George, what if you didn't exist? What if you weren't present in this culture, in this society? What would happen? An angel shows it to him, and it's chaos. It's broken lives. It's despair. And George decides, life is better. The world is better with me. Let's ask that same what-if question with Hannah. What would have happened if Hannah would have got pregnant a year after she got married? She gets married. A few months later, she gets pregnant. She has a kid in the first 12 months. What would have happened? Would she have sought the Lord so intensely? Would she pour out her heart to God? Would she draw close to the God of heaven? Probably not. Would she have consecrated her future son to the Lord's work forever for his entire life? Probably not. Would Samuel be serving the Lord as one of the greatest prophets in biblical history? No. God's purpose... God's plan to close Hannah's womb had a higher purpose than just giving her a son. There is a lot more at stake. I don't have a slide, but I'm going to read this, 12 through 16. Now, it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. 
Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I've not drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Hananiah, her rival, misunderstood her. Elkanah, her husband, misunderstood her. Eli, the priest, misunderstood her. But we will see very shortly the Lord understands her. The Lord cares for her. The Lord provides for her. Yea, God, who is like our God? Who is like him? No one. Verses 17 and 18. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. May the, may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked from him. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away, went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. From sadness to peace. God did not immediately change her situation. God didn't say, okay, you'll have a child. You'll have a son. No problem. But God gave her peace, which is far better than sadness. When we think of this connection between adversity and prayer, we should think of Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7, which is the New Testament exhortation of the same principle. Should be up on the slides there. We got a slide for it. Be anxious for nothing. That's an incredible statement. I don't know about you, but I've read the New Testament so many times. Sometimes I, when I do devotional reading, I just blast through the verses, especially verses that I have memorized. I just blow through it. Be anxious for nothing. But we need to pause. Be anxious for nothing. That's, that's enough of an exhortation to keep us busy for all of life, right? But in contrast... In everything by prayer, talking to God, supplication, making requests of God, with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving has elements of gratitude and praise to it. When we're all involved in thanksgiving, there's an, there's an attitude of gratitude and also a gratitude of praise to God. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts in your minds in Christ Jesus. All of us have claimed this promise countless times, and we need to continue to claim it. Yet we need to be careful that we don't treat God like a vending machine. You know, you put four quarters in, oh, excuse me, because of inflation, it should be eight quarters. So you put eight quarters in the machine, you press the button, you better get your candy bar or your bag of chips. And if we don't get that bag of chips or that candy bar, we get a little bit upset. We sometimes wrongly think, if I pray hard enough, that God is going to give me exactly what I want and what I ask of him. But you know what? God is bigger and wiser than we are. God being sovereign does not mean that he determines every event or outcome. Christianity is not a fatalistic religion like Islam. 
nor is it a reward and punishment system like Hinduism or Buddhism. Christianity is a friendship with God that is marked by his love and his involvement. God does not always give us what we want, but rather what he wants for us. I do not always understand his ways, but I do know that he's good and that he loves me. That's all I need, to have hope and to trust him. Bill Bright was the first president of Campus Crusade for Christ, known as Crew Now. His uh, assistant, Steve Douglas, became the second president of Campus Crusade. He was Bill's assistant for approximately 30 years. Bill was a big picture guy. He, just, he saw, the, he saw e, uh, Z from A, but nothing in between. And Steve Douglas was much more the detailed guy. He saw the steps, the problems, the challenges. And so, you know, frequently he would come into Bill's office. They probably met almost every single day. And he would come into Bill's office and say, Bill, we have a problem. And Bill, not in a negative way or a, a critical type of way, Bill would say to him, Steve, we don't have problems. We only have opportunities to trust God. Isn't that an incredible perspective? Steve, there's no such thing as problems. There's only opportunities to trust God. So application, what do you currently need to trust God with? What opportunities do you have in your life today to trust God and to commit to prayer before him? School, for those that are younger, maybe you're doing college. You think, what, what am I going to do? Is there, is there going to be a job there when I graduate? What's my future? What's the purpose of my life? What am I going to do with my life? Or you worry or you have challenges with children or health issues or life changes or relationship issues or parenting or marriage or what opportunities do you have right now to trust God and to commit it to prayer? Second, Hannah's plea ultimately leads to provision. So first, her adversity leads her to prayer. That prayer leads her to experience peace. And then her plea actually leads to provision. Verse 19 and 20. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned to Ramah. And Elkanan had relationships with Hannah, relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I've asked him from the Lord. I love that phrase. The Lord remembered Hannah. <laughs> Can't help but think of the old hymn. His eye is on the sparrow. And he watches over you and me. God gave her a son. Yay, God. Hannah weaned Samuel, which took about three years. She brought him back and presented him to the Lord. Verse 24. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine. She brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. Oh, the child was young. Then she slaughtered the bull, brought the boy to Eli. She said, 
Oh, my Lord, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me the petition which I have asked of him. So I also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he will be dedicated to the Lord. And he, referring to Samuel, worshiped the Lord here. He's only three. He doesn't even know the Lord yet. But he's entering into worship of, of Yahweh. I want to tell you a story of my Chinese friend that I met a number of years ago. Should be a picture. There we go. I was visiting a house church, as I always do when I go to China. I've been to China 18 times. I will actually see this brother in about three and a half weeks. I'm going to be going to China. And when I was at this church service, I, I like meeting guys, and this guy attracted me and attracted my heart. And so I wanted to get to know him. I started asking him some questions, and I found out that his name is Tianza. That's his first name, Tianza. And the first part of it is T-I-A-N, Tian. And, you know, I only know about 35 Chinese words, but this happens to be one of them that I know. And the word Tian means uh, that which is above all. So it has a translation of the sky or heaven. And metaphorically, sometimes it's used to refer to God, metaphorically. So I asked him, you know, because I knew that word, I said, Tian, that's an unusual name, the heavens. I said, how did you get that name? And he says, my mother had a very difficult time having a child. Year after year, she tried, and she was frustrated. And then after five years, she had me. And she named me Tianza. Tianza. Tianza means heaven's gift. Heaven's gift. Hannah also had a son. She named him Samuel. The Hebrew word for Samuel is Shemuel. Translated, it means his name is God. It's the same idea. God's gift to me. How great was God's provision to provide a son to Hannah? Incredible. Incredible. Hannah got her son, and she got six more kids. Man, it's good she stopped praying when she did. <laughs> how, many, how many of the names of her children are recorded in the scriptures? She's got seven. How many are recorded, the names of them? One. How many names of Penaniah's children are recorded in scripture? None. What's Elkanan, the husband's claim to fame? His son, Samuel. What did God get? God had much larger plans than just giving a son to a woman. How big of a deal was Samuel? Whew, incredible. Samuel filled the void when God took the lives of Eli and his two wicked sons. Samuel filled that void of leadership and godliness. Samuel brought tremendous reform and stability to the kingdom of Israel. Samuel modeled holiness and commitment to Yahweh. Samuel anointed, anointed Saul as the first king of Israel. Samuel anointed the second king, David. Samuel spoke powerfully for the Lord all the days of his life. As 1 Samuel chapter 3, 19 and 20 says, 
Then Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. All Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as the prophet of the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 1. God is telling Jeremiah, I'm going to judge Israel. They're so decadent and depraved, I'm going to judge them. And God makes a statement that highlights the greatness of Samuel as a prophet. And he says in the text, he says, Then the Lord said to me, Even though Moses or Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Biblical history from Moses to this comment in Jeremiah is 800 years. 800 years of biblical history, and God says the two greatest prophets that have the most influence with me are Moses and Samuel. God's provision was a blessing to Hannah, but an even bigger influence on the nation and the people. Application. What provisions from the Lord do you need to remember? Boy, this is a good exercise for us. What provisions? Well, I thought of a lot of things. One of the things I thought about is when I came on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ in 1978, I barely knew any Christians. I was a young believer. I had to raise my own financial support. I thought, wow, if God doesn't do this, man, it ain't happening. Most people take six months to a year to raise it. God raised it up in six weeks. And I stood in awe of God. I need to remember things like that. Remember, need to remember a lot of things. For me, Mother's Day, I remember the provision of a godly mother. Second major principle. Hannah's provision ultimately leads her to praise. So adversity to prayer, prayer to peace, plea to provision... And now provision actually leads her to praise, which it should. 1 Samuel chapter 2, there's a slide. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies, probably referring to Penaniah, the second wife. Because I rejoice in your salvation. Now salvation, she's not thinking heaven and hell. The word salvation means deliverance or being rescued. She was delivered from her bitterness and her sadness and her despair and her yearning for a son. She was rescued from it. Oh, I like this next part in praise. There is no one holy like the Lord. Oh, yes. Indeed, there is no one besides you. Nor is there any rock like our God. Even the barren gives birth to seven but she who has many children languishes. There is no one like our God. Amen? I want to propose a book that you would write, that Trinity Church would write. The book title is this, Psalms of Praise from Mothers. It would not be a revelation from God, but it would be reflections on the works of God in your life. Now, I'm the idea guy. I don't have the management skills to pull it off. Somebody else is going to have to take that mantle. Psalms of praise from mothers. I will buy the book. I will read that thing. 
and I'll probably cry every psalm that I read in that book. It's going to bring tears to my eyes. As you pour out your heart, mothers, in a psalm of praise to God. I want to tell you another story. A story about Steve and Tammy Papas and their four adopted children. They adopted two white boys and two black girls. Drew, Scott, Becca, and Rachel. Steve and Tammy became Christ followers with me as college students in Wisconsin. They've been serving with crew for over 30 years, and both are involved in national leadership positions. Steve and Tammy are incredible parents. After they got married, a few years in, they began to find out that it was, might be impossible to have children. So they prayed earnestly, they went to the medical doctors, and they determined that probably never going to happen to have biological children. So they went for option two. They began to think about adoption. First that they adopted was um, Drew. Put the slide back up, upper right-hand corner, Drew. You keep it up there. And uh, there was a young co-ed student at one of the Wisconsin schools. She had gotten pregnant, and she was thinking about what to do with this problem pregnancy. Right at about that time that she was deliberating what to do with that pregnancy, she went to a lecture on campus sponsored by Crew, and the speaker was Josh McDowell. And that lecture influenced her. She met with a staff person, and she eventually came to faith in Christ very shortly after that. And because of her newfound commitment to Christ, she decided to keep the baby, put it up for adoption, to give it life, and to put it up for adoption. Steve and Tammy adopted that child. That's Drew. Fourteen years later transpire, they adopt other kids, the other three. They adopt Scott. Scott's about 14 or 15 years old. He's out in Colorado for the a crew conference, high school ministry. One of the speakers on one particular day was Josh McDowell. So Scott goes up to Josh with tears in his eyes. And he says to Josh, thank you for saving the life of my brother. Thank you for saving my brother. Your lecture on that campus gave me my older brother. Thank you. When Josh was in tears, it was a basket case. What would have happened if Steve and Tammy could have had children of their own? They wouldn't have adopted these four children. Their lives would have been different, both for the mom and dad, but also for these four children. Application. What provisions in your life do you need to give praise to God for? What provisions do you need to give praise to God for? Hannah had, an, had a journey from adversity to praise. How's your journey going? How's your journey going with the Lord? Shortly after my mom passed away, I sent out a newsletter as a tribute to my mother. There's a slide. Keep it up when you get it there. My mother passed away March 30th, 2017. I have a lot of stories about my mom. 
preparation for this, so I've cried about 45 times. Yeah. A lot of stories about my mom. My mom was a great mom. It's like I said in this tribute to her. A great mom who lived life well. First picture she sold in her side because she's laughing so hard that her stomach is hurting. So she just had a great disposition about life. We moved to California in August of 1996. Right after I moved out, I flew back to Wisconsin for a wedding. I was staying at my sister's house. My mom came down from Michigan to be with my sister and to see me. And I was hanging out with one of the students that I had gotten really close to. And as I was driving back from that student's house to my sister's house, I, I was contemplating, and I was thinking, why, why is there so much love in my heart? I love these brothers so much, my heart just overflows. And I was try, trying to reflect before the Lord, Lord, why is this true? And two things came to my mind. One is, I am utterly, completely convinced that God loves me. There's not a shred of doubt in my mind. Not because I'm a great person, because he's a great God. And then the second thing that popped into my mind, I've had a mother that has loved me incredibly. So I got back to my sister's apartment. My mom was in the kitchen. And curiously, she said, Johnny, that was her kind of favorite name for me. Johnny, Johnny, why do you love people so much? I said, Mom, it's kind of interesting. I was just thinking about that as I was driving here. I said, there's two reasons why. So one is, I am utterly convinced that God loves me incredibly. And I paused and I said, and the second reason is because I have a mom that has loved me so well. My mom hated to cry. I don't know why. I don't understand. My mom literally to cry, and she just burst into tears as I said that. And I walked over, wrapped my arms around her, hugged her tightly, and I said, I have a great mom. I have a great mom. Mothers, we as a church honor you today. We're grateful for your sacrificial labor of love. And we offer our praise in this community of Trinity Church for your virtuous service to your family and to your children. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks that you have a bigger plan than we do. And thanks that you hear us, you understand us, you respond to us, you give us peace. Thanks for teaching us again about your character through Hannah's journey from adversity to praise. Help us take those same steps from adversity to praising you, Lord. Help us to reflect on your peace, your provision, and have it produce tremendous praise in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you that you care about us. Thank you that you hear us and you want to respond to what's on our hearts, Lord. Thanks for, for your goodness. Thanks for your love. We pray these things for your glory and for the provision of your people, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.